Thank you, Jeff. Well, good morning. Um, for those that are guests here this morning, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's a great privilege to be in the pulpit with you this morning. Um, we, we were at Tarleton State University this morning, welcoming freshmen and inviting them to churches throughout um, Stephenville, Texas, and I had a 30-second clock to, for, to give me time to tell them everything I could about Rocky Point and to be here. And uh, I don't have a 30-second clock today, but we do have brisket waiting for us. So let's jump, let's jump into the Word this morning. I, today will mark the beginning of a brand new series, a mini-series, if you will, and we're calling it Live Scent. Uh, Jeff has created this incredible uh, piece of artwork for us, and you can get that for your phone and your Facebook page and all of those things. It's quite incredible. Um, We're drawing that title from John uh, chapter 20. Let me read this for you, and we'll turn there, and you can turn to John 20, but let me read this for you. This is where we're drawing this title from. It's from John uh, chapter 20. It's Jesus's commission there. Verse 21, he says, Jesus says to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So over the next five Sundays, we will be looking very intentionally at what it means for a Christian to live sent. In other words, what does it mean to be on mission with God? I have no plan. I I get as I was preparing this and building out and what what text we would be in. We're not going to be in one uh, book of the Bible only. As I'm looking at text, I have this feeling that people are going to feel like we're just adding, could potentially feel like we're adding more to their life, more maybe to do. And I have no plans to add more church to your life. Rather, I simply want each of us to see how being the church is your everyday life. Over 20 years ago, John Piper, he preached this sermon from the book of Colossians on the mission of the church. And I want to read for you just an excerpt from that. He said this, he said, from time to time in the life of the church, there needs to be a wake up call to some simple and central and basic things. One of these is Christianity is a converting religion. It is evangelistic. It is persuasive and expansive and missionary. It is not coercive. It does not use the sword manipulation or brainwashing. But it does proclaim and persuade, persuade and plead and pray. When we lose a passion to see people one to Jesus, we lose Jesus. Christianity is a soul winning, outreaching, mind persuading, heart entreating, rescuing missionary faith, or it is not true Christianity. We need to be reminded of this because it is almost incredible how listless we can become while calling ourselves Christians. Little by little, our whole orientation can become inward. We just go about our in-house religious business like a medical clinic that sees fewer and fewer patients and has more and more staff meetings until there is nothing left but a smooth-running program for the doctors and nurses and their families. That is what happens to many churches. We do not want to be that church. Amen. I don't want John Piper preaching sermons about, or anybody rather, writing books or preaching about that as it relates to us. So over the next five weeks, we literally will be 
looking outward. What does it mean to look outward, to live on mission with God? So John chapter 20, let's begin in verse 1. I want to read the first 10 verses and then look at them closely. This is, this is post-crucifixion. This is the crucifixion of Christ has happened. And then we're in, now we are in John 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must first rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So we're going to look at three scenes here, if you're thinking about a movie. We're going to look at three scenes. This first scene is, is very simply the empty tomb, but it's the inauguration, if you will, of new creation. Something very different is happening here. And we're going to hear that in the language. The gospel writers, they don't say this took place on the third day. It's very clear. They use this brand new language here on this first day, the first day of the week. They're indicating that something new has happened. There's a shift in something. It's the dawning of a new creation, if you will. Sunday was the first day of the week. Jesus, on the Sabbath, was resting in the tomb. And from this day forward, from this day on, the first day of the week becomes the day where believers will set aside for worship. We'll see that in Acts 20. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 16. It's going to be the day of the week that they set aside to gather together to worship the risen Christ. So some today would say this. I've heard this phrase or something like this. I can't believe in the resurrection because those things just don't happen. Dead people don't walk out of graves. And that's exactly why John chapter 20 is a big deal. Because it doesn't happen every day. It doesn't. We don't know. I dare say that anyone in the room has ever seen someone raised from the dead. It's it's unique. And that's why John 20 is a very big deal. So it's the first day of the week. It's still it's early, maybe three to five in the morning. It's still dark. This is a theme in John. It's dark and light. There's darkness And there's light. There's a lack of understanding. And then there is understanding. So this is happening here in in the first verse. We're seeing this. Verse 2, the stone is rolled away. She, She goes to get Peter and John. Mary is worried about grave robbers. This is very common 
This is not uncommon. And so she's worried that someone has stolen her teacher, her master, her rabbi. And so she's worried. She goes to get the goes to get others. She's not anticipating the resurrection. It's interesting because she her first thought is he's raised. He's risen from the dead. And and she goes to tell the disciples and they're not anticipating it either. It's been said that I read this uh, somewhere. I couldn't give it credit. I, I took a picture of it with my phone. These were primitive people, gullible, first century people. We modern people can't believe in miracles. This was writing about these first century uh, disciples. But these disciples weren't even ready to believe in a miracle any more than we are. They, when Mary comes to them, they weren't saying, oh yeah, hey, don't worry, he's risen from the grave. They didn't say that. They weren't anticipating. No one said, hey, it's the third day. Guys, it's the third day. Jesus is going to raise from the dead. Let's go look. It can't hurt. It's the third day. He's not going to be there. Let's just go take a look. They weren't anticipating that. In fact, in, in Luke 24, in the same account, when, when Mary comes to tell them, they say this, these things seemed like idle tale. Could you imagine, Tracy, you're there, the, the, the tomb is empty, you run back to the disciples and the disciples say, is this, is this an idle tale? What, what's going on here? What are you saying, Mary? Verses three and four, we, it's an interesting, these guys, they, they head to the tomb. There's two witnesses that would have been sufficient for evidence in Jewish law. And they're running, they're running to the tomb. Verse four, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. There is humor here in all that will happen this morning that is serious. There is much humor in these few verses. These guys are running and John is writing about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. He refers to himself as this other disciple. And here we have Peter and John running to the tomb. This is a great text maybe for a, for a mission fundraising campaign, right? The Peter and John 5K. These guys are headed to the tomb. And John is recording this. He's outrunning Peter. Now, Peter is older. He's probably mo more like a nose guard. He's good for 25 yards, okay? John, he's young. He's faster. He's going to get there first, and he wants you to read this and know about it. So John gets there. He outruns him. He's younger. He's quicker. And he outdoes him in speed. But he doesn't outdo Peter in boldness. John looks in, right? He gets to the tomb. You can imagine, can't you? Jeff, you see him. He's, he's peering in. He's heard that it's empty. The, the stone's moved away. Mary didn't do it, and the ladies with her didn't do it. So he's looking in. He's afraid. He got there first, but here comes the nose guard. Here comes Peter, right? He gets there and he goes in. He goes in first. He it tells us that Peter follows. Verse six, he goes to the tomb. He looks in. There's no there's no body. He sees the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which was on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up. So we have what you have is. It's like the body disappears and leaves the cloth there. Like if you were to just let the air out of a balloon, it just lays there. But you also have order. You have this face cloth that's folded up neatly and put there. It's, it's not the scene of a crime. It's not the scene of robbers that have, would have hastily taken a body and, and left a mess. No, there's, 
there's cloth lying there like the body disappeared, and there's a, an orderly folding of these face cloths. Lazarus, when he comes back from the dead, when Jesus calls him out of the tomb, it's in that he comes out with his grave clothes on. Now, Jesus orders them in that account to take them off him, but he comes out with his grave clothes on. The writer here is wanting us to see something. When Jesus leaves the grave clothes behind, he's he's Lazarus comes back with them on to a world that is truly still held captive by death. And Jesus leaving these grave clothes there, he leaves death behind. That's why we say death could not hold him. He leaves that behind. He passes through death into life, into new creation. This is the dawning of a new creation. That's very important as we consider what does it look like to live sent. We have a resurrected Savior. We have something brand new happening. This is not, this is not Lazarus coming from the grave and someone taking off the grave clothes. This is Jesus, the risen king, leaving death behind. And he is defeating death. He has he is conquered death and he's entering into new creation. John sees this and it says he believes. This is a theme throughout John. In fact, it says he writes this book that we might believe. Verse 9 is interesting. It says that they didn't understand the scripture, that he must first rise from the dead. Jesus would say later that those who have not seen but believe are blessed. But he's saying that about those, you even, that have believed and were not there to see. They didn't understand all of the scriptures. It's not one particular scripture, but they didn't understand the entire scope of scripture. The resurrection changes everything. You need to know that and remember that if you already know that, that Jesus's resurrection, it changes the lens through which they would understand the scriptures, that we would understand the scriptures. It was hard for people to understand this. Uh, the apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he's standing before King Agrippa, and he says this in Acts chapter 26. He says, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul couldn't understand. Why, why can't you understand this, king? What? But it, it's hard for people to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was a good teacher. His, history says that. We, people can believe that. I can buy into that. But to believe that this man really died. They beat him. They murdered him. They, they put him on a cross. They buried him in a tomb. They wrapped his body. That this man would get up from there. Either, either he didn't really die, some would say, or it didn't really happen. And so there are many, even today, this is not only for King Agrippa. This is not only for first century Christians. This is for modern man, 2018, that it's hard for many to believe that the tomb is truly empty. But Christians believe Jesus was raised from the dead. To be a Christian means that Jesus truly was raised from the dead. And this, this inaugurated new creation. He would say in the book of Colossians that he is reconciling all of creation to himself. Revelation 21, 5, he would say, behold, I am making all things new, not just humanity, all of creation, this is the dawning of a new creation. Something new 
has happened. So if you are a Christian, you need to remember that. That the resurrection means that something brand new has happened. Verses 11 through 14. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laying. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. We have this we have this second scene here. This is the scene that we might call the invitation to the new creation. Second scene, same story. We have this woman, Mary, she returns to the grave. We don't know why she returns to the grave, but she goes to tell James or uh, John and Peter. They they come back to the tomb and she's there with them because she's standing outside the tomb. We don't know why. Maybe her, she's, she's stuck. We're going to see her. She's stuck on this. Where's he at? I don't know. I need answers. I need to go back. I need answers. Maybe she's hoping for someone to just enlighten her about all of this. Where's the absent body? What, what happened to the body? We don't know why she went back. She's struggling to believe in the resurrection. We see that because she's talking to these two angels. We don't know if she recognizes them. I, I don't know. But she's talking with them. And they ask her, why, why are you crying? Why are the tears? What's going on? And she's stuck as she was in verse 2. She says, I don't know where they've taken him. He's not here. Where is he? My master is gone. Verse 14. Enter Jesus. He says, she turns around. She sees him. She doesn't know that it's him, but it's him. <laughs> she is with the resurrected Jesus. She's with Christ the King. She is with her Savior like she has not ever known Him or experienced Him and she doesn't know it. And He asks her a question. Verse 15. He says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why, whom are you seeking? There's two questions here. And this first question, why are you weeping? It's, it, it's a question that, that um, would convey love and affection of Jesus. He cares about her tears. He doesn't say, hey, suck it up, buttercup. I'm risen from the grave. I don't know if you say that. We don't say that in our house often. Uh, but Jesus doesn't say that to her, right? He doesn't say, no, he says, he says why are you weeping? He cares about her. He's, he's saying to her, this is a time of celebration. You know, you know, in that moment, put yourself in that moment when You know it's a time of celebration. It's good things. Why are you crying? The road trip's over. We're there. We're on vacation, right? It's it's a time of celebration. It's not a time of of tears and mourning. And then this instant, this is how the Gospels end very differently than the rest of the Bible in the Old Testament. I mean, think about this. Here in the Gospels, in the previous books, rather, we have all of these heroic characters in the Old Testament. If you've not read the Old Testament, it's full of heroes of the faith. Genesis ends with what? Joseph dying. He's a hero. You need to know about Joseph. It ends with Joseph's death. Deuteronomy ends with Moses's death. Joshua ends with jo- There you go. Okay, Joshua's death. The gospels do not end like that. The gospels are he- they're here. There's death and then there's resurrection. 
It's something very, very different. You have funeral, 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 resurrection. He, it should transform our view of death. The old te- all that's happened before, death seems to be its final place. There's, there's prophecy about the kingdom to come, all those things, but, but death seems to be final. And here we have a resurrection that transforms our view of that. Verse, the second question, what, whom are you seeking? It's like, what kind of Messiah is she seeking? Don Carson says he's a, an author, a speaker, pastor, a man of many things. He says this of Mary Magdalene. He says, as grand as her devotion was, her estimate of him was far too small. Couldn't that be said of each of us? You imagine on the day when we will see him. Don't you think it could be said of us even that as, as grand as our devotion was of him, my estimate would have been far too small. Mary, she mistakes Jesus for the gardener. It's not surprising, actually. If you think back, where, where in the story of God is creation broken? Where does everything fracture? Where is everything changed? It's in the garden. In the book of Genesis, There is a creation and God puts man and he puts woman there and everything is as it should be. And then man rebels against God and all of creation is fractured. And here Mary, she mistakes him for the gardener. Something significant is happening here. Here you have the master gardener. He's conquered death. He's putting everything to rights. He is changing everything. It's a brand new day. This is the dawning of a new Creation. It doesn't end with a funeral to weep at, but it ends with a resurrection to rejoice in. Something very different is happening here. Well, look at how Jesus responds to her, verse 16 through 18. Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic or in Hebrew, Rabbani which means teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is an interesting response, but it's, it's incredible what happens here. Jesus offers her something brand new. Jesus offers her new life. It's easy to miss maybe just reading it through, but he offers her brand new life, not advice for self-improvement, not a brand, a different version rather of her old self, but he offers Mary brand new life. I don't know uh, about your past. You can read up on Mary Magdalene and about her past. Um, And I don't know about yours this morning. I know about many of yours and I know about mine. But maybe yours is a past of abuse physically or sexually or emotionally or verbally. Maybe your past is one filled with addiction or sinful relationship. Maybe your past is one filled with mediocrity and and laziness as it relates to uh, the Lord and to the things of God and to holiness. But whatever it is. What we see here, what we're hearing here is that there is 
hope that you and I can be different. There is hope that we can be made into a new creation. That we don't just have to hope for a better version of ourselves. The New Testament would go on to teach that, that you can be made brand new. Regardless of your past. Regardless of Mary's past here. Her past is not her identity. See, what we hear Jesus say when he turns to her. And he says to her, Mary, she didn't recognize him before she saw him. I don't know if his appearance was different. I don't know exactly. Someday we will. But he calls her by a different name. He calls her Mary, but he calls her by her Hebrew name, Miriam. It's not the first time we hear that name. When we get to this scene, Jesus calls her by this Hebrew name, Miriam. And Miriam is Not just a brand new name. It's not brand new on the scene. When is the last time we hear the name Miriam? We hear it way back in the Old Testament. And I think what Jesus is doing here, he's calling us to think about his crucifixion and his resurrection in in terms of this older moment in biblical history. So in Exodus chapter 15, let me just read this to you. You can turn there if you want. In Exodus 15, 15, way back in the book of Exodus, right after the most significant event in the history of the Jewish people. Right after this remarkable liberation from slavery in Egypt, 400 years of captivity, right after this remarkable uh, liberation from that, right after Moses and um, all the people of Israel sing this incredible song of freedom... We get these words from Miriam, Moses' sister. Verse 19. For when the horses of Pharaoh, with his chariots and his horsemen, went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the middle of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out, After her with tambourines and dancing and Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed, triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. God had held back the water and allowed his people to pass through on dry ground. And if you read the story, the chariots wheels were bogging down with mud. The Israelites were walking through on dry ground and he bogs their wheels down. They cannot make progress through the sea, and then he lets the waters go and they covers up all of the Egyptians and their army. And Miriam sings this song. Can you hear Mary here at, at the tomb with her master singing this song? He says to her, Miriam, it would have been the name that her father called her. And she, she goes back to that moment, like if, like if you're a father and you put your arms around your daughter and you say, It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And Jesus calls her by this name. And I I believe he wants us to think about this scene, this crucifixion, this resurrection, just like when God delivers his people from captivity, the resurrection frees us. It delivers us. It delivers you and I in a way that no one before that had been delivered. And Miriam, Miriam, couldn't you hear her singing this song? I mean, what, what, what is the song in Exodus 15? Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed. Can't you hear Miriam, Mary Magdalene at the tomb? Couldn't you hear her saying that to the people? 
Sing to the Lord, O people, for he has triumphed over death. The grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. He's passed through death and into life. The horse and his rider has been thrown into sea. Death has been thrown into the sea. John Calvin writes here. He notes in Mary, we have an image of our calling. True knowledge of Jesus is when he intimately invites us to himself, not with the voice that falls indiscriminately on the ears of everyone. But with the voice with which he calls the sheep the father has given him. That is what Mary heard that day. Jesus offers her brand new life. The empty tomb is the inauguration into new creation. And Jesus speaking to her just like he would. No one comes to the father unless the spirit calls him. Just like he has said to you, Christian, right? You heard he called you by name. He calls you by name just like that. That he didn't. It wasn't a word that fell indiscriminately, whether it was the preaching of a message or someone sharing the gospel with you personally, where everyone in that moment. No, it was you hearing the voice that calls the sheep that the Father has given to Jesus Christ. Jesus offered new life, but he also offers new family. And these two things are inseparable. You need to hear that this morning. That new life and new family are inseparable. So he refers affectionately to the disciples as what? He says, but go to my brother's And say to them, and he uses these words, my father and your father, my God and your God. He tells, he's telling of this this distinction in in, in the terms of Jesus's relationship with the father and our relationship with the father. He is the only begotten son of God. He's unique as the son of God, but he is our true elder brother as God as the father. And he says, go and tell, go and tell my brothers. You see, apart from the resurrection, we not only have nothing to preach. If there is no resurrection, no one has anything to preach. But it also means that we have no church. If there is no resurrection, we have no church. We have people doing good things. The resurrection changed Everything. It inaugurated a new creation. And Jesus in that moment invites us into new creation work. And he offers new life. You do not do that apart from having new life in Jesus Christ. Christianity is familial. It's not only personal. They are inseparable. The third scene and final scene here. We have the commission. Right. So we have the inauguration of New creation. Jesus conquers death. He passes through death and into life forever. And then we have this invitation into new creation work. We have invitation into new life. He says to you, come to me. And for those that are in Christ, there is a commission here. Verse 19 to 23. Let's read it. He says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes to his disciples. These men, these women, they had abandoned him. Okay, they weren't sticking around to see if they were going to be next. They abandoned him and he comes to them and he says to them, peace. This is the first Easter evening. Okay, this is an Easter story. It's the first Easter evening and Jesus appears to him. This is this is the best word that you can hear, right? You're in chaos. The tomb is empty. They're saying it's empty. John and Peter had gone to explore it. They're saying, is this just a tall tale? What's going on? And Mary here, she's. She meets him, but Jesus then, he comes to them, appears in the room. They're frightened for many reasons. And he says, peace. It's the counterpart, if you will, to it's finished. Good Friday, he says that it is finished. The work has been accomplished. God's wrath has been satisfied. Peace be unto you. Right. Calm down. It's okay. I am here. It's been accomplished. The disciples are glad. Can can you imagine any other response? I mean, really, gladness? Have you ever, do you remember, if you're a Christian, do you remember what it was like to live in chaos? No hope? Not knowing? You just believed that you existed? Maybe there was a God and you didn't know if you pleased Him or not? Am I good enough? Am I not good enough? I messed up today. As Jeff prayed early, you felt like you were just one step away from being outside of His grace. And yes, I just stepped outside of His grace, right? And there's this constant tension. Do you remember that? But do you remember the voice of the Savior that said. Peace. I finished the work. I've accomplished it. I've satisfied my father's wrath. Now come to me. They are glad. He says, and then he tells them, he says, listen, you have a mission I mean, you could imagine what the response could be. You're off the team now. You abandoned me. Uh, You're hiding, locked away. You're no longer on the team. Or maybe you're on the team, but you're down there on one of those colors that no one really knows. And you're on the bench. That's not what he says. He says, no, instead, you're going to lead the mission. I have a mission. And not only are you on the team, but you are going to lead the mission. Peace be with you as the father sent me. Even so, I am sending you. This is John's great commission here. This is like Matthew, right? This is this. This is John's version of this. This is Jesus commissioning them. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus is spoken about as the sent one. We just read scripture that tells that we just sang songs that sing that the Bible declares that Jesus is The sent one and God is ascending God. He sent the son. God, the father sends the son. The son sends the spirit. And now we are sent into the world. John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see, the call here for these disciples and for us, this is not only for those that were locked behind that door. 
This is for those in this room that are in Christ. You've heard the voice of the Savior say, peace. And you have said, you said, yes, yes, my hope and my trust and my faith is in the fact that Jesus Christ did what I could not do. He stood in my place on the cross, absorbing God's wrath for my sin. I was his enemy and he died for me. And so it's not just for these disciples in this room, but it is for us that have trusted in that. And this, it's this, the call is to live like Jesus as a missionary in this world. He did not take you out of the world. That's what all the texts that Jeff just read, he did not remove you from the world or you would have said yes and amen to Jesus Christ and whoop, you're gone. Grave clothes or whatever, you know, your, your suit or your t-shirt or your cap, whatever's there for the next guy to come along and pick up. That's not what happens. That is not. You come to faith in Christ and we have this mandate. We have this commission from Christ. I'm sending you into the world. So if you are a Christian, one who has been called by name. If you're a Christian, you need to resolve that this morning. If you're a Christian, one that's been called by name, adopted into a family. Into a family. Brothers and sisters, people you know and relate with into a family. God has sent you into this world as an ambassador. And we'll get to that text in week six. But he has sent you into this world as an ambassador to both declare and display the glorious gospel. He did not send us into this world to sit and soak. To read more and more and more and more books on theology. There is a place for that. I love to read. And we are a church that loves to read. But he did not send you or I, Christian, into this world to sit. He sent us on mission to declare and display the gospel. So to both live and to speak the gospel. And over the next five Sundays, we are going to look very detailed at that mission. What does that look like for us to be on mission with God? I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you to be here. To make it a proud. We should we say that about every week, right? But I'm going to plead with you to be here. Because this is critical. If we are only living the Christian life that is not declaring and displaying. We're only living, I'm, I know Jesus, I have a personal relationship with him, but not the other hand of the gospel. We're not displaying and declaring. We are out of balance as a Christian. You're out of balance as a Christian. And, and it's not a, this is not heaping more on your plate. It truly is looking at God's word to say, what does it look like to be the church in my everyday life? To walk faithful with, faithfully with my Lord and with my brother and sister and with the outsider. With the outsider. To be in the world, but not um, of the world. To be with the sinner, even at our table. But to not compromise holiness. 
also be here. And we will be very, very practical and very, very applicable, but we will be right here in God's word and asking the Lord to help us to know what it looks like to live on mission with him for his glory and for the good of our city. God's put us in a city. And so that declaring and displaying should be for the good of this city and for the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that we can turn to it and be reminded not only on Easter Sunday, but on today that the tomb is empty. We gather today to celebrate an empty tomb, a resurrected Savior. And that resurrection changed everything. Father, I thank you that you have called many in this room by name. They've heard the voice of the one sent. He called the names that you gave him. And in that calling, he's renaming us. He's making us new creations, but he's also commissioning to be on mission with you because we're still in this world. So, Father, prepare our hearts even today to start thinking and asking questions about what that looks like. And over the next few weeks to to trust you with what you would say to us from your word about what it looks like to display and declare the glorious gospel. Father, for those that would be in this room that have never heard the voice of the great shepherd. Would you call them even this morning by name? As they hear that the tomb is empty. That he died in our place. He took your wrath for our good and for his glory. Father, I pray that maybe even this morning that they would say, I, I hear for the first time and I want to cling to Jesus like Miriam, like Mary tried to cling to him there. Father, would you use your word over these next few weeks to make us into a people that are about declaring your glorious gospel? Yes, saying, speaking, telling the good news of Jesus Christ and also displaying it, living as the gospel has implication on our everyday life. Would you do this for your great namesake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.